So Luke 19 is where we're going to be. If you want to go ahead and uh, find that passage in your Bible, Luke chapter 19. I'm going to start with uh, this, though. I want to start with a picture that uh, was taken on September 24th of 2016. And it was at the uh, dedication of the National Museum of African American History and Culture, which is the newest Smithsonian in in Washington, D.C. But the picture went viral back in 2016. And it's probably one of the most famous pictures of a former president and a former first lady. Although the former president and the former first lady were not married to each other. Uh, It was this picture right here, if you remember this. You guys remember this from 2016? This, This picture went viral. For, for multiple reasons. There were some people that criticized the picture. There were a lot of folks that loved the picture. But most of the articles online are about why do we love this picture so much? Like, like people just loved seeing this picture of Michelle Obama and George W. Bush. And so there was all these opinion pieces out there about why do we love this so much? And one of the reasons is it's a display of civility that we don't see much in American politics. You know, it's, it's a display of, you know, kindness and mutual respect for one another and kind of this inclusivity that we don't see much in American politics. And this picture was taken one month before uh, Trump was elected. And regardless of what you think of Trump, uh, can you imagine a similar picture with Donald Trump and Jill Biden? Uh, probably not. You know, you're probably not going to see one of those pictures uh, anytime soon. And I got to kind of research in this photo a little bit because I was looking for an example that illustrated what we've been talking about in this series, but specifically what we're going to talk about today in Luke chapter 19. And this was the story I found that I think is the perfect example of what we're going to talk about in Luke 19. But as I read the articles, I ran across an interview that Michelle Obama did with George W. Bush's daughter about the picture. So George W. Bush's daughter, Jenna Bush Hager, is the uh, journalist that's doing the interview with Michelle about why people kind of love this picture. And so I'm going to let you see what she says about it. This is about a two-minute clip right here. Are you all ready for it? I'm going to go ahead and hit it. So watch this. No, we're not ready for it. Let's go back. Are we ready for it now? Okay. About life, and it's a calming force. You know, that's so my, I got a text from my dad this morning that said, mm-hmm. Sin, Michelle, my love. I was like, don't you call her Mrs. Obama? He's like, no, I call her mm-hmm. Michelle. Mm-hmm. He said, Sin, her my love. And I thought, you know, it's so interesting how people are so interested in y'all's mm-hmm. friendship. I mean, that hug was like the hug that went around the world. Mm-hmm. I do love that picture. Yeah, but I mean, that's your dad. That's a, you, you know your dad, you know. He's, Why yeah. do you think people are so hungry for that, though? Because I think the political discourse, the way it's shown in the media, is it's all the nasty parts of it, you know? Because I guess we've become a culture where the nasty sells. Mm-hmm. So people are just going to keep feeding that. But the truth is much more complicated and complex than that. And I'd love that if we as a country could get back to the place where we didn't demonize people who disagreed with us. Mm-hmm. Because that's essentially the, the difference between Republicans and Democrats. Mm-hmm. We're all Americans. We all care about our family and our kids, and we're trying to get ahead. We have different ideas about what's the best way to, to get there, you know? But that doesn't make me evil, and that doesn't make him 
you know, stupid. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it's just a disagreement. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how I feel about your father, you know. He's a, he's a beautiful, funny, kind, sweet man. And I don't know that I agree with him on everything. No, or on, on much, probably. <laughs> on much. No, on no, much. You probably, Maybe not. And actually, but if y'all had time over coffee, probably you might agree on more than you think. Right. So I think, but I think in, in, in America's heart, that's where we want to be. And I think that our relationship reminds us that we can get there mm -hmm. um, with the right leadership and with the right tone setting and with each of us giving one another the benefit of the doubt. All right, so I love what she's saying there because she's singing my song. Like, that's, if you've heard me preach for any length of time, you know I talk a lot about that. Like, even though we disagree on things, even when we have different ideas, different opinions, different positions, we can still come together as one. We're still trying, we want the same things for each other. So I love what Michelle Obama was saying in there. That's the reason I looked up the video and started watching the interview. But what Jenna Bush Hager said was really what struck the series. And she made the comment that if y'all could just get together over coffee, I hear if you could just get together around the table, if you could just come to the table together, then you're going to find that you agree on far more than you disagree. You're going to find that you have more in common than, than your differences. And uh, Obama said in an earlier interview, she said, it's harder to hate up close. And I think that's the power of the table. It's harder to hate up close. It's easy to hate online. We see how that works. It's easy to hate in the media. We see how that works. It's easy to hate sitting on the street corner pointing fingers at one another. It's easy to hate arguing from a distance. But it's harder to hate up close. And that, to me, is the idea behind the invitation of Jesus to a table. Because Jesus was inviting himself or was being invited to the table of people that he did not agree with. Jesus didn't agree with the tax collectors. Jesus didn't agree with the Pharisees. Jesus didn't agree with the, the, the behaviors that the, the sinful woman had been engaged in. But he was coming to the table with people whom he disagreed with for not just inclusion and not just forgiveness and not just diversity and not just rest, all the things we've talked about so far, but for change and transformation. When we come to the table, that's when we're changed. That's when we're transformed, especially when we come to the table with Jesus. That's what Luke chapter 19 is about. That's not what it's famous for, but that's what it's about. So Luke chapter 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. I wouldn't ask for a show of hands. I'm guessing most of you have heard of Zacchaeus or have heard the story of Zacchaeus. If you went to Sunday school, if you grew up in church, if you went to VBS, you heard about Zacchaeus. What do we know about Zacchaeus? He's a wee little man. That's all we know about it. Like, that's what everybody knows about Zacchaeus. When we see his name, the first thing we think of is he's a wee little man. Because there was a fame, for those of you that don't know, there was a famous VBS song. I will not try to sing it. There was a famous VBS song about he was a wee little man. So what we know about Zacchaeus is he was short. Like, that's the main point of the story. The main point, the reason Luke included the story of Zacchaeus in his gospel was to say he was a short guy. That's not the main point of the story. I, I mean, I love the VBS song, but I think it's caused us to focus on a minor detail in the story and let it become the major detail in the story, which we do with a lot of Bible stories. The major detail in the story is the transformation of Zacchaeus' heart after he comes to the table with Jesus. The minor detail is he was short. Okay, and so I want to focus on the major aspect of the story, and we're going to go through this story just a couple of verses at a time. So this is a short story. 
it's a well-known story, and that makes it the most dangerous story because the more, the more well-known a story is, the more we tend to skip over the details and skip over the context and just go, oh, yeah, Zacchaeus was the short guy that met Jesus. End of story. Nope, that's not the end of the story. Here's the way Luke starts it. He says, Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Luke's trying to tell us something very specific in the second verse of this story right here. He tells us that he was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. And what Luke is telling his readers is, Zacchaeus was not a good man. That's, that's, that's what he's saying there. That's not necessarily what we hear, but that, what he's saying is Zacchaeus was not a good man. He was not only a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. He was at the top of the pyramid scheme that was Roman tax collection. He was at the top of taking advantage of people and taking advantage of his own countrymen and women and, and giving taxes to, to Rome. And he was wealthy. The clear implication being he did not get his wealth by honest means. And that's not just Luke's, that's not just implied. If you read the rest of the story, Zacchaeus says, that's true. I did not get my wealth by honest means. So Zacchaeus was a crook and he was a cheat and he would not have been well liked in and around Jericho. Zacchaeus is somebody that people are not going to have at their table because he's the chief tax collector and he's a crooked cheat. I tried to think of examples. I thought of this guy right here. I don't know if you know that picture. That's Bernie Madoff. So if you don't know Bernie Madoff's story, I won't try to tell it. If you look it up, he was involved in one of the largest Ponzi schemes ever in, in human history. He cheated tens of thousands of people out of billions of dollars. If you can imagine your retirement savings, one day you get a phone call and say, hey, the financial advisor that you've had your retirement account with, um, they were a crook and they've actually taken every dollar you have and you won't get restitution and it's gone. So when, if you can imagine being a client of Bernie Madoff, if you can imagine what that feels like to be a client of Bernie Madoff, I watched a documentary about it. I got angry watching the documentary about it, and I'm not a client of Bernie Madoff. He hadn't stole a dollar from me, but I got angry about him just thinking about how this man has taken advantage of all these people who trusted him with their funds. Okay, that's the way folks in Jericho thought about Zacchaeus. He was not well-liked. He climbed a tree because he was short. He also may have had to climb a tree because nobody was going to let Zacchaeus up to the front of the line to see Jesus. Because nobody like Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. But Luke tells us he did want to see Jesus. So he was a crook. He was a cheat. He was a wealthy tax collector. But he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So the visual that I get of this is Jesus is approaching. His ministry is at the height of its popularity right now. So there's, there's healings that are taking place. There's teachings that are taking place. There's a great crowd of people who want to see who this rabbi is, this new rabbi coming through Jericho. They want to see who this rabbi is. Zacchaeus climbs this tree so that he can see him, but nobody wants to have anything to do with Jesus. There's no way... Jesus is going to give Zacchaeus the time of day. There's no way Jesus is going to stop and say anything to Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus is the most despised command in the community. But Jesus does the unexpected. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest 
of a sinner. Now, there's something powerful that happens in verse 5 and 6. I want to talk about verse 7 for just a little bit because I want to talk about the people's reaction. So Jesus does the unexpected. He stops at the tax collector's house and says, or tree, <laughs> stops at the tax collector's tree and says, I'm coming to your house today. I want to be a guest at your home. And all the people begin to mutter and begin to complain because the people in Jesus' day make the same assumptions and jump to the same conclusions that we do in our day. When we see someone associating with somebody that they should not be associating with, when we see somebody hanging out with, befriending, going to dinner with, having coffee with, somebody that they should not be having coffee with, they should not be going to dinner with, they should not be friends with, then we make assumptions about that person. And we assume that their association with that person must equal tacit approval of everything that other person does and believes. And so when we see them with the wrong kind of person, we're offended by that, right? We're, we're offended and torn up when we see them with the wrong kind of person because we assume that by sitting with them, they are giving approval to them. The Michelle Obama hug, for every article that talks about how much they love that, there's another article that talks about how wrong it was for her to to hug George W. Bush. How dare you? How, why would you hug George W. Bush? Are you saying, do you know what he did when he was in the White House? Are you saying you agree with his policies? How dare you hug him? What kind of message are you sending to people when you hug a man like that? And there's just an equal number of articles out there condemning George W. Bush for his friendship with Michelle Obama. How could you have a friendship with Michelle Obama? Do you not realize that her husband's administration tried to dismantle everything that your administration did? I mean, how in the world could you fraternize with the enemy like that? How could you, what kind of message is that sending? I even thought about when I was writing this sermon, I'm taking a risk by using that as my opening illustration because I'm going to turn off some people with my opening illustration because they're going to be sitting there going, our preacher's a Democrat. I had no idea. You know, I can't believe it. He's up there complimenting Michelle Obama. I didn't know that. You know, because like, we jump to conclusions because we, it's guilt by association. If you say something nice about someone, if you compliment someone, if you go to, you know, if you see me out at dinner and I'm sitting down with the uh, chair of the Murray County Republican Party, you go, well, he's a Republican. He must agree with everything that guy says. You know, I, th that doesn't necessarily, you can have dinner with anybody you want that doesn't necessarily agree with everything that you, that person says or everything that that person believes. But that's what we assume. We assume, because our society has the same mindset as the critics of Jesus. I'll, I'll say this. I used this illustration years ago, and this is a dangerous one too. Years ago, which would have been, what, 2014 or 15 or whatever, I watched the State of the Union address. Obama was given the State of the Union address, and I watched it. And at the end of the speech, I posted on Facebook and said something about, regardless of what you think of the guy's policies, he's a really good speaker. You would have think, like, I baptized him or something. I mean, like, people were just went crazy about that. People unfriended me. How dare you say he's a good speaker? You know, because that's what we do. It's this guilt by association. If I compliment someone of a different political persuasion than me, or if I am nice to someone of a different religion than me, or you know, whatever, whatever the differences are, if I accept someone, if I openly associate with someone, then I must be granting wholesale approval to everything they say or do. And this kind of mindset followed Jesus throughout all his dinners. This is the same mindset when he went to the dinner at Levi's house. How dare Jesus? Does Jesus not care that people are being taken advantage of? 
Does Jesus not care? Is he saying he supports the actions of a man like Zacchaeus? He supports people getting cheated. He supports these tax collectors. You know, what kind of message is Jesus saying when he goes and eats at the house of someone like Zacchaeus? And I do think Jesus was making a message, uh, sending a point here. I do think there was a message here. I don't think Jesus just randomly stopped at Zacchaeus' house and said, come on, I want to have dinner at your house. I think when he did that, he was sending a message And the message wasn't, I approve of everything Zacchaeus has done to you folks. The message was, I won't give up on people who are open to me. I won't give up on people that everybody else has given up on. Because in my interpretation of this, everybody else has given up on Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus ain't never going to change. The chief tax collector is never going to change. And Jesus' message to them is, I will not give up on people whose hearts are open to me. Because here's what happened at the dinner. We don't have the conversation, but we know what happened. It says Zacchaeus. Now look, this is a contrast Luke's making here. In verse 7, the people are muttering, he's gone to be the house of a sinner. He's gone to be the house of the guest of a sinner. And then in verse 8 he says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. So I think Jesus is sending a a very direct message in verse 5 when he stops at the tree of Zacchaeus. And And it's the same message of the parable of the great banquet. He's saying, the people you think don't belong, the outcasts, the sinners... Uh, the unworthy are the exactly the kind of people I want at my table. The people you think are never going to change are the people who are open to change and the people who are changing because I have not given up on them. And what I see in the acts of this story, this is kind of where I took this this week, was you know, Jesus doesn't approve of everything, everyone he shares a table with. Like if you look at all the stories that we've had thus far, you know, he had it with the dinner with Levi and the tax collectors and the sinners and he's had it at Simon's house and he's had dinner here uh, with Zacchaeus. I don't think there's any way that he, he doesn't approve of the ethics of the tax collectors. His going to dinner with them is not approval that, that, that they're doing right. He doesn't encourage the woman with the sinful reputation to go out and keep sinning. Uh, he doesn't approve of the Pharisees' rigid interpretations or compassionless rules but he still has dinner with them. He still befriends them because approval is not a condition of inclusion. And this is where I think our society is is dangerously moving in the wrong direction here. Approval is not, or agreement, I could even say agreement. Agreement or approval is not a condition of inclusion because the way we kind of treat it is Until I agree with you, we really can't have anything to do with each other. Please unfriend me now. That's a, that's a, we, we'll post that. You've heard people go on a rant on Facebook about something, whatever happened last, you know, go on the rant on Facebook and they'll end the rant by saying, if you disagree with me, do me a favor and unfriend me now. And you may have done some of those posts. I'm not picking on you if you did. Okay. I haven't seen any recently. So I made sure I haven't seen any recently before I mentioned that. But that's kind of the mindset that we have today is if you don't agree with me, just unfriend me. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Because we treat uh, our, our friendship is based on 100% agreement or 100% approval. So what that means is before we will include you into our circle, before we will say you are welcome at our table, either you have to change or I have to change. And that's a mindset a lot of people have about church. You know, church says, oh, yeah, you're welcome. Church will say, everybody's welcome. But 
change your idea about this or, or change this and then you're welcome. As if that's a condition for that. And I don't know where we got the idea. I don't think we get the idea from Jesus because Jesus clearly didn't practice that. And I know it's Mother's Day and I can think of no better example than mamas as to how this works. And I'll, I'll put it real simple. My mom will be in the second service. Did my mama agree with everything I did when I was a teenager? No. Did she agree with everything I did when I was in my 20s? Did she approve of all of my behavior in my 20s? No. I'm 49. She don't approve of all my behavior now. I still, mama still sends texts and emails and say, you shouldn't have said that, son. You, you, know, you, gotta, you need to change that. You need to have a bad attitude about this. You shouldn't have lost your temper there. Whatever it is. I mean, she don't approve of everything I do now. But I'm always welcome at her table. Always welcome at her table. I think of nobody that shows me more unconditional love than my mom. That doesn't mean she agrees with everything I do. That doesn't mean she agrees with everything that I, I say. It doesn't mean that she approves. Of, you know, her, her welcoming me to her table is not, okay, son, therefore you have done everything right. And you are holy and you know, I agree with everything with you. No, she welcomes me to her table. It's actually her inclusion that motivates me to change. It's not the opposite. See, we think if we just exclude people, they'll want to be in so bad. If we exclude them, they'll want to be part of us that they'll change so that they can be part of us. Actually, exclusion just drives people further away. It's the inclusion that leads to change and transformation. This is the story of Zacchaeus. Nobody thought Zacchaeus was going to change. Nobody. The chief tax collector is never going to change. But by Jesus including Zacchaeus and welcoming him at his table, actually Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' house, but by Jesus sitting at the table with Jesus, that led to the change and transformation of Zacchaeus. See, it's real easy in this series, it, we've gone through four or five stories now, it'd be very easy to misinterpret what we've said in this series and be like, oh, Jesus was very inclusive and we should be very inclusive. Absolutely, we should. That's exactly what we learned from Jesus. But Jesus wasn't just kind of, hey, Zacchaeus, live and let live. You know, do whatever you want to do. You want to keep cheating people? No problem with me. You know, come on. I'm, I'm you know, I, wow. That was, Siri. was that Siri? Did y'all hear that? Did y'all hear that? I think, I think that was Siri. It said yes. Amen. Uh, I've got like my own personal amen machine here. This is wow. Okay. Um, it, my phone does that all the time, by the way, because Sherry is across the hallway, and I will say, hey, Sherry, and Siri will say, yes, what do you want? I'm like, no, Sherry. Um, but anyway, uh, what was I talking about? <laughs> wow. Repentance. If I hadn't said that word yet, I was about to. That's what I was talking about. Repentance happens in the context of relationship. That's what I see in this story. Zacchaeus was changed because he spent time with Jesus. When Zacchaeus spent time with Jesus, he became a better man. When Zacchaeus spent time with Jesus, he became a changed man. I'd love to know the conversation that took place between verse 7 and verse 8, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you love to set in on the meal with Jesus and hear what conversation took place with Jesus and the chief tax collector? Because whatever that conversation that took place, it led to Zacchaeus standing up and repenting in front of everybody. And Jesus said, because this man has repented, 
He too is a son of Abraham. And he's telling the people, you didn't think this guy was one of you. He is one of you because repentance is evidence of his salvation. And repentance is just simply the concept of turning around. I mean, that's literally what it means. It means I was walking in this direction and now I repent. I turn around and I walk in another direction. And I think repentance comes when we welcome people to the table, not exclude people from the table. Not just repentance for them, but repentance for us as well. And when we invite Jesus to the table, it becomes even more transformative. Because the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we change. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we are transformed. And I think that's the, the message from this story. I think that's one of the reasons that Luke uh, includes this in his story because he wants to send a very specific message to the people of Jericho. And I think Luke includes us today because, or Jesus wants to send a very specific message to Jericho. I think Luke includes the story because he wants to send a very specific message to us as well. That we can include other people even if we don't agree, even if we don't approve, because guess what? They don't agree or approve of everything we do either. But we can include one another together knowing that relationship leads to change and transformation for both of us. Let me say a word of prayer. Father, I want to thank you for... um, I'm just... I'm coming to appreciate Luke's gospel more and more and more the more time I spend with it in this series. And so I'm thankful that you inspired him to, to research this history and to put these stories down on paper so that we can have them. Um, help us to, to have that same heart of your son Jesus that uh, could see people. He, he could have shamed Zacchaeus. He could have pointed at him. He could have condemned him. He didn't shame Zacchaeus. He he welcomed him, and he loved him, and he accepted him, and that led to, to Zacchaeus's change. And I pray you help us to follow the footsteps of Jesus there. We know we're not perfect, but uh, help us to, to choose the path of inclusion, to, to choose the path of, um, of welcoming and loving folks. Uh, help us just to choose the path of your son Jesus, to treat people in the way that we want to be treated, because that's what we see here. And we're thankful that, that Jesus has done that for us. We thank you that, that Jesus welcomed us as we were and didn't insist that we uh, change everything about ourselves before we were welcome at the table. He welcomed us as we are, but he didn't leave us there, didn't leave us the same. So I'm thankful for that. And it's in his name I pray these things. Amen.